Well, it is, uh, as some of you, well, all of you know now, if you didn't know this morning when you were woke, it is Father's Day. And I had a particularly joyful uh, morning this morning. And here's, here's, just on the screen, I've prepared in, uh, for those of you who weren't able to partake in your own Father's Day celebrations, you can join in on mine. Here, here is a, a piece of work one of my children, I will not name that particular child, did for me this morning. This is the Dad Times. As you can see, there's a checklist. Isn't that wonderful? All the things uh, that I'm doing well. On the next slide, uh, you just see one I've highlighted there that's been unticked. I don't know if you can see that. That is the crafty. Uh, that's crafty. Now, uh, my daughter said, oh, there I've just let, let, let out who <laughs> wasn't my son. Uh, my daughter said, you're not crafty, Dad, because you don't like slime. <laughs> now, anyone who's a parent shouldn't like slime because it gets in the carpet and it ruins everything. In any case, I didn't make crafty, but you'll see on the next slide another you probably won't be able to see it, but that, 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 did, that did hurt me. Because that unchecked box says wisdom. <laughs> and so I don't know how that bodes for our time this morning. But in any case, I have a question for you. What were you doing this last week? Particularly, what were you doing on Tuesday of this last week? Well, I spent last Saturday. How many days ago is that? Eight days ago? I was at Trent Bridge, and some of you are about to complain because I always begin sermons by talking about sports, but you know, it's what I'm interested in, so just get used to it. <laughs> uh, and I spent, I spent last Saturday with my son, Joseph, and his two friends, and, and some of, uh, one of their fathers and, and the grandfather, just watching the cricket. Now, I know not everybody's into cricket, and I get that, but you should be, because it's amazing. And, um, and I'd spent the, the whole day, and it was really sweet just to see Joe and his friends connect. And, you know, I, 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 rec- I reckon in the sort of eight hours we were there, Joe and his friends probably watched a combined total of four balls of cricket, and the rest of it, they were just running around the boundary trying to get a professional cricketer to sign their hat, which is fantastic. They call it their, their signings. And by Monday night, they, you know, cricket, for those that don't know, we have Californians in the room again. For, for those that don't understand this, cricket takes five days. It's kind of a, a, a spectacle that sort of stretches out across a whole long weekend and beyond. And by Monday night, those who were following the test match, they were aware that this was going to go to a, an increasingly rare fifth day. And it was going to be exciting. Every one of the four, and yes, that is correct, four results that are possible in a test match were still in play. And I was getting quite excited. I was particularly excited when Nottinghamshire County Cricket Club, being the best county cricket club in the world, decided that tickets would be given free to anyone who should like to come. And so I did what, what any cricket lover would do, what any pastor should do. I cleared my calendar. <laughs> and I sat down upon my computer and I tried to digitally elbow out anyone else who would take those tickets from me. And uh, all I could see on my computer was a a bar crossing the screen very slowly saying I was in the waiting room. I couldn't get in. I didn't get any tickets. It didn't work. And I heard then the news a bit later. I was out for dinner with my few. And I heard the news that it was all sold out. I later found out my parents-in-law had managed to get tickets. And I don't know if you're watching... Frank and Larry, because you're not in the room, but next time, hook a brother up. I mean, (laughs) come on. 
what were you thinking? Anyway, they went and, uh, and they sent us pictures, of family WhatsApps, nobody was in one pre-lockdown. Post-lockdown, we're all in them. Family WhatsApp was a picture of them contentedly watching the cricket on the Tuesday morning. I was desperate friends, and I don't mind sharing that with you. It was a dark place for me. And I did, again, I was reaching and scrambling for a plan. I thought, well, could I dress as a cricketer and run in? What could I possibly do? In the end, I had a brainwave. And I thought, maybe it was the work of the Spirit. Maybe it was a gift of the Spirit. I don't know. But I thought, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to reach out to my friend Ben. My friend Ben had been to two of the four days. He was an ex-professional cricketer, also an ex-professional rugby player. He's the kind of person that's in the know. And there was a small part of me, if I'm honest, and Ben, you're probably not watching this, but if you do watch this, this is a confession. There was probably a small part of me. Most of me wanted to celebrate with him if he was going. There's a small part of me that wondered if he could get me in. And that part of me, that small part of me, is probably about 80%, no more. (laughs) Ben said, I am here, in fact, I have a box. You know, this is going, church. I've got a meeting until about 1, but if you come to the gate at 1.30, I might be able to get you in. So I found out what the dress code was. I wandered down to Trent Bridge just in case Ben came out with a gift. Here's the gift. There it is. A ticket. A ticket to enjoy the match. As you you may not know, England were chasing 299. If they were to get those runs, it would be the fifth highest run chase in this country. And I watched an extraordinary spectacle. Ben Stokes, Johnny Bairstow, and I was behind the bowler's arm for the end of it. Here's a picture of what I witnessed. What an incredible day. Friends, it's not what you know. It's not. Sometimes it just is who you know. It's not what you know, it's who you know. For me, knowledge of someone, in this case Ben, led me into experience. I'm not going to say it was life-changing, but it was a heck of a lot of fun. Now, we're about to begin a series called Spirit Life. Spirit Life. And we're going to be concentrating on the person and the work of the Holy Spirit. We are in Pentecost season. The church across the world, not just Trinity Church, the whole church across the world is or should be paying attention to who the Holy Spirit is, who he is among us, what he does when he's working among his people. And we want to pay this year particular attention to who the Holy Spirit is and what he does. And the reason is, is because we want to, three reasons, we want to know God. We want to know God. I know that's so obvious, but why do we come to church yeah, for many of us, it's kind of, it can be tradition or, or it's just something we've done. Our parents did it or we want someone to look after the kids for a couple of hours or, or myriad reasons. And I'm not saying those reasons are bad, but the fundamental reason we should be at church and be around church is because we want to know God. We want to know God. And that means we don't just simply want to know about God. We want to know God. Secondly, we want to grow in God. We want to grow in God. We want to be mature, growing up into the full stature of disciples of Jesus. If we're not growing, if we're not moving forward, we're moving backwards. It's impossible to be static in anything in life. Life is dynamic, and we're being shifted and shaped all the time. We want to grow in God. Thirdly, we want to show God. 
around to the people around us. That's what we talked about last week, witnessing. We want to demonstrate who he is to those we know. We want to know God. We want to grow in God. We want to show God. And it is impossible. The Bible is so clear on this. It's impossible to do any of those things. Not one of them is possible without the work of the Holy Spirit. Your Bible will make no sense to you. Holy Scripture's not enough because unless you've got the Holy Spirit, you don't understand it. It's just a book to you. Worship will feel, you'll be sitting here and you'll be thinking, that was long, really long, and boring. All of this won't make sense. The community, it won't be alive to you. Devotion will be difficult. Prayer will be difficult. All of it will be difficult without the Holy Spirit. Transformation will be difficult. Now, there are moments where we have to press in anyway, but God wants us to experience the life of his Holy Spirit. Because even with God, it's not what you know. It's who you know. It's not what you know, it's who you know. Now, the church in Corinth Effortless segue. The church in Corinth was confused on this point. They were confused on this point. You see, they were obsessed with a certain kind of knowledge. You know, for them, they they were pursuing a particular kind of knowledge. It was spiritual knowledge. They were particularly excited about what they called wisdom. We looked at this a number of weeks ago. They wanted wisdom. And by that, they meant sort of lofty rhetoric. Uh, they, were the, they were among in an environment of, in, of intelligent speech. And they wanted pastors and people to come to them who were clever and who could give them a, a message that made sense to those around them that was dynamic, communicated in lofty words. That was the Greek culture in which they were set. They wanted wisdom. That's the kind of knowledge they were after. Secondly, they wanted uh, clever and impressive leaders. Celebrity pastors. That was where it began. In Corinth, blame them. Not Instagram, blame Corinth. They wanted leaders who were impressive and they built factions uh, in, amongst their church, all of them looking at different leaders. That was how they got their sense of importance. They wanted a third kind of knowledge too. They wanted spiritual knowledge. And particularly that was mediated for them through powerful spiritual experiences and angelic appearances. If you could com- be completely out of it, Speaking in tongues, rambling in tongues, that was the spiritual high point for you. You were then somebody who was really spiritual. And alongside of all it, all of it, and the, the river underneath it all was human pride. They were proud. That was their MO. That was their way of being. Paul writes to them the whole letter of 1 Corinthians. I encourage you to take it home and read it. And try and do it in a couple of sittings. You get the flow. It is a... Uh, a, a rebuke, basically. There's some encouragement too, but it's principally a rebuke. And it's less of a rebuke than the second letter. And he writes really to correct them and to redirect them. And fundamentally to redirect them to a different kind of wisdom and a different kind of knowledge. This wisdom, he says, is spiritual. But it's not the kind of spiritual wisdom the world's looking for. It is cruciform, it's cross-shaped wisdom. It's not the wisdom of the world. It is the wisdom of God, which is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to those who are being saved, it is the power and the wisdom of God. 
The wisdom Paul points the church in Corinth towards is the wisdom of the cross. Now by chapter 12, which is where we pick up the story, Paul is speaking particularly in practical application. And he comes to the area of spiritual gifts, which was a central concern to this church. And again, he has powerful redirection for them. And here's what we read. Verses 1 to 2 of chapter 12. Now about the gifts of the Spirit, brothers and sisters... I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagan, somehow or other, you were influenced and led astray to dumb idols. Okay, now about spiritual gifts, brothers and sisters. In the original language, the word there literally reads pneumatikoi, which means spirituals. It's a plural word, spirituals. And it could refer to spiritual things, It could refer to spiritual people. It could refer to spiritual gifts. The word gifts isn't there. The word people isn't there. The word things isn't there. So as a translator, you have to do the work to guess. Now, all of those works. Given the argument of Corinthians, given what's been going on, any of those works. The translators of the NIV have said spiritual gifts, and there's a good reason for that, which is that later on, Paul talks about gifts. It doesn't fundamentally make a difference to the argument. My best guess, or the way I like to uh, sort of see it, because it reads a bit like an introduction, is Paul saying, now concerning the things of the spirit, concerning spiritual stuff, and you can include in that spiritual people, spiritual gifts, whatever you like, including uh, anything else, now concerning the things of the spirit, I do not want you to be uninformed. 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 The word there is agnoeo. Ag, a, whenever you see a at the beginning of the Greek word, it means the opposite of, and uh, the gnoe is come from the word gnosis, which means knowledge. Knowledge. Not knowing. That's literally what this word means. Don't be not knowing. Now, our word for that would be ignorant. Ignorant. You see the G and the N and the O in ignorant in our word. Don't not know. Know stuff. That makes such a simple thing to say to a church. But listen, did you hear what I said before? The church in Corinth, the thing they know above all things is that they know. They know stuff. And they know stuff about the spirit and spiritual wisdom. They prided themselves on their spiritual knowledge. So for Paul to say to them, don't be uninformed. Noses in that room were out of joint at that moment. This phrase would be an affront to them, a rebuke. They were the spiritual know-it-alls. Uninformed was the last thing they thought they were. But their so-called knowledge was counterfeit. It had led to spiritual pride. What Paul is about to do to them is to point them back to true spirituality. And true spirituality is defined not by a pursuit of knowledge, but by a pursuit of love. This is why the two, the two chapters on spiritual gifts in Corinthians, chapter 12 and chapter 14, yeah, 14 they are uh, surrounded, or that rather they surround chapter 13, which is about what? Love. It's not actually supposed to be something we would read at uh, weddings, although if you did, good choice. But it actually sits within the flow of an argument. Paul's saying, look, as you pursue the things of God and the things of the Spirit, pursue love as your guiding force. 
He later says knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. Knowledge is only so valuable. And then listen to what he does here, it's brilliant. Verse two, you know. Don't be uninformed, you know. You know. So here's again that word, and, and he's, he's like ramming it home. In, in, in the original language, of course, you'd get that sense just as you do reading English. You know. What, what, you know what? Well, you know, and here's one thing they absolutely did know. He says, you know what it was like to be a pagan. And to worship as a pagan, you remember that because they had been pagans. He says, no, you know that when you were pagans, somehow or other you were influenced and led astray to dumb idols. He's taking them back to their, few, their past life. Here's their resume, if you like. You remember how you were led astray? To dumb idols? To, to spiritual experiences that went nowhere? Can you remember that? Again, this is a stinging rebuke. Taking them back, back into their past, it's almost as if he's saying it's not so unlike that today, is it? You with your ecstatic experiences that lead nowhere, that don't build up the body, that don't uh, push out into mission, that are all about you. You know what that's like. And then he says, therefore I want you to know. Verse three, therefore I want you to know, again that word, I want you to know that no one who is speaking by the spirit of God says Jesus be cursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. Again, we have the third time this word, let's play on this word. Knowledge is central, but what Paul is saying is the kind of knowledge that's central. In fact, the authenticating, validating thing in Christian spiritual experience is this. And this alone, do, does your experience lead you to a place where you are able to articulate this? Jesus is Lord. That's it. That's what authenticates the movement and the power and the work of the Holy Spirit in a community and in the world. And if it doesn't lead to that, it isn't actually God. No matter how much power there seems to be. Now, I want power, God's power, in this place, probably more than any of you. But if it's going to be about hype, not interested. If it's going to be about the brand of a church, I'm not interested. I want God's power. There's so many, so many, so many movements, so many churches in, they lose patience. Because God, when he, before he releases his power, he always makes you wait. There's always a wilderness, and in that moment, people lose patience, and so they basically take shortcuts, and they go to hype or human personality. Paul's saying, you know, we're not going to do that. The lordship of Jesus is central. It's the authenticating experience. The question for any church is, is Jesus central? Is he the main event? Is it about him? Not is it about a brand or a, a leader, a communication style, a, a set of songs, whatever. Those things aren't bad. I'm not trying to say that those things have no relevance. I'm just saying they're not the point. If they're allowed to be the point, the, the, the New Testament has a word for it. So does the old, the old actually. It's called idolatry. It's the worship of something less than God. And the Holy Spirit always points to Jesus. 
So for the church today, even as in Corinth, the primary sign of authenticity is that the Spirit brings honor to Jesus. It's a short one today. I'm going to land with this. Let me ask you this question. What do you know? What do you know? What's the basis for your knowledge? What do you know? Who do you know? Let me tell you what I want you to know. Let me tell you what I want you to know. I want you, I want you to know God. I want you to know God. That's what I want for you. I don't really care if you do anything I say. I don't think you probably think about it as soon as you leave the door. You shouldn't probably, but I want you to know God. I don't want you simply to know about God. I want you to know God. There are two kinds of knowledge. English doesn't, doesn't have this. In French you see it, in Spanish you see it. I presume it all comes from Latin. There is, there is knowledge about something. In, in Spanish it's conocer is the word. It's a fact or a date. Knowledge about something. And then there's knowledge of something. Saber. To know something. If I ask you, where is, where is Trinity Church? You say, oh, it's just up the hill. That's, you know about it. But if I ask you, what's your father like? That's the second kind of knowledge. It's knowledge of it. it comes from experiencing it. I want you to know God in that way. Doctrine's important. has a place. It matters. The, the doctrine is the guardrails. But the guardrails for a genuine experience of a God who's alive. If he's not doing the stuff in our midst, midst that he did in the book, then we're missing something. If we're not being shaped by his presence here and now, we're missing something. What we need is a greater knowledge of the Holy Spirit. So we need to be informed. Not led astray. Not led astray. We need to know about the Holy Spirit. Wouldn't it be a wonderful thing if when people gossiped about Trinity, they said, those guys, they're just pursuing God. They love the Holy Spirit. They won't stop talking about the Holy Spirit. And they're genuinely, in an authentic and a real way, they're pressing in for real experience of God. Not in spite of Scripture, but because of Scripture. And it's all about Jesus there. I tell you, they won't stop talking about Jesus either. And the Father, they're honoring God. They want more of God. How might you be uninformed? Well, perhaps you're afraid. Perhaps you grew up in an environment that was some kind of spiritual abuse, particularly as it pertained to the person and the work of the Holy Spirit. Perhaps you were taught, as some are, that... One particular gift of the Spirit was more important than any other. Perhaps, perhaps you've seen people hype things up. Perhaps you've felt profoundly unsafe because the things of, and the work of the Spirit haven't been pursued in an environment where Jesus is central. And that has felt honestly um, really unsafe. Perhaps you've experienced what it's like to be in an environment where there's spiritual coercion, spiritual abuse, manipulation, and hype. 
And it doesn't feel safe. None of it feels safe. Well, it wouldn't be because it isn't unless Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord of his church. And he's the one. We're not looking at this now. But if I did look at this point, what I would be saying now would be, all these are the work of the one and the same spirit and he distributes them to each one just as he determines. The one who decides who gets what and who uh, is blessed in what particular way in the, in the church is, is him. It's him. It's his work. So if you're afraid, I would ask you again, come to the table. Come to Jesus again and be open again. There may be something here for you. Maybe it's a season for you for healing to move forward again. But to go forward, you're probably going to have to go back first. And ask the Holy Spirit in. Ask him what he thinks. So maybe you're afraid. Secondly, maybe you're apathetic. Maybe you're apathetic. You're just honestly not really bothered. Honestly, this is the group I understand the least. But maybe it's you, and and if you're honest, you know, you like the Jesus stuff, you like coming to church, but it's part of your life. It's part of your life. It's alongside the other stuff. It's, it's like, it's an appendix. That is actually, that works on two levels. It's that part of your body, it's nice to have it there. You can probably do without it. Every so often it makes you feel a bit sick. <laughs> you're interested in the things of God to a degree, but you're not pursuing God. Get off the fence. It's no fun on the fence. One French philosopher, I don't know his name. If I did, I'd tell you because it would impress you, perhaps. He said, if you stay on the fence too long, you end up with iron in your soul. Don't become hard-hearted. Don't become hard-souled. Step off the fence one way or the other. Press into God. Seek the things of the Spirit. Don't be content. Contend. Thank you, Becca Tucker, for that line. Ask God to disturb your contentment. He specializes in disturbing the comfortable and comforting the disturbed. Perhaps the third group, perhaps you are ignorant. And and, and that, that word in our culture sounds so negative. I don't mean it in that way. I literally mean you just don't know. You've not been taught. Maybe you just, you, you t- you're like, this is my first time in church. This man is crazy. <laughs> Probably true. My apologies. You just haven't heard. Maybe you grew up in an environment that's not churched, perhaps. You're hearing about the Holy Spirit for the first time. Or you grew up in an environment where, honestly, the Holy Spirit wasn't talked about. It was the Father, the Son, and the Holy Scripture. The Holy Spirit was never mentioned. Maybe you're in a group in an environment where actually the things of the Spirit were, were mistaught. As I mentioned, maybe you grew up in an environment where actually uh, you were taught, maybe one of two things, uh, that some of the gifts were the authenticating sign of the Holy Spirit. Typically, this happens around tongues. I don't believe personally there's any scriptural evidence for suggesting that people have to speak in tongues in order to have a living and a vibrant relationship with the Holy Spirit. Likewise, I also believe anyone can speak in tongues. You can talk to me about that some other time if you'd like to. I would say that's a, a misteaching. Similarly, and on the other end, we have a misteaching when it comes to the things of the Spirit. And it often happens in churches where they purport to take the Bible very seriously. And that's the, the misteaching that says these things have ceased with the apostolic age, which some arbitrary moment is chosen at that point. And they no longer happen. 
Now, despite the fact that the things of the Spirit have happened uh, repeatedly through Christian history after the closing of the canon, and despite the fact there's not a shred of evidence in the Bible for this position, that position is still advanced. Maybe you grew up in that environment. You, di- you simply don't know about the Holy Spirit because you've not been taught or you've been mistaught. Or maybe you've so prioritized rationalism, almost the opposite of the Corinthians, but you have a worldview which is watertight and there's no room for God. And honestly, if God showed up right in front of you as an angel, you would find a way to reduce that to your manageable experience. Maybe you don't know. Maybe you feel like you already know all that there is and you have nothing to learn. The call to us as a church in this season, in this series, is simply this. Be open. Be open and be hungry. What if we as a people pursued the Holy Spirit together, knowing that pursuit of him would honor Jesus, it would lead to fruit for us and among us? What if we pursued knowledge of God? What if this picture of the cricket isn't just for my benefit. (laughs) What if the cricket field, what if Trent Bridge in this image stands for something? What if it represents the life of God, the presence of God, the goodness of God? What if the point is that we can only gain access to what's happening within the life of God by relational knowledge, by a knowing which comes from the Holy Spirit? Not my friend Ben, but the Holy Spirit who is freely available to everyone who seeks to experience and to know him. Close with a couple of lines from Hosea 6. Come, let us return to the Lord. He has torn us to pieces, but he will heal us. He has injured us, but he will bind up our wounds. After two days, he will revive us. On the third day, he will restore us, that we may live in his presence. Let us agno Pledge the Lord. Acknowledge the Lord. Let us press on to acknowledge him. As surely as the sun rises, he will appear. He will come to us like the winter rains, like the spring rains that water the earth. Holy Spirit, would you come? Would you water your people? Would you refresh your people? Would you give us once again an experience, a real experience of what you are like? Not for our own glory, but for the goodness of who you are among us. Amen.